0: Regardless of where they are in their OCAR journey, I find that some clients have some fear associated with being really transparent, right? There's this notion that you mentioned of big brother and sort of I don't want to really open my kimono and show my appendectomy scar and my <laughs> stretch marks to these strangers who are coming to the company telling us how that strategy. Nonetheless, I need to work with them. I need to build rapport. I need to first and foremost build trust. Welcome to Dreams
1: with Deadlines, a podcast by Quantive. We talk about bringing strategy, teams, and data together to drive better business outcomes. I'm your host, Jenny Harold. There are few people anywhere with the depth of expertise and insight my guest on this episode of Dreams with Deadlines offers in the realm of OKRs and leadership. Natalie Webb of Cloud Peak Enterprise Group, LLC, has worked with every process and change management methodology out there over the years. But, she says, nothing is as transformational as a successful OKR deployment, across sectors from healthcare to aviation, manufacturing to FinTech. Here are a few of the things we talked about. How to get executives on board with the level of transparency needed to make OKRs work. What naysayers bring to the equation and how to open their minds and ease their fears. Why it's important to revisit outcomes every quarter during the reflect and reset phase of OKRs to avoid serial cloning. And finally, Natalie jumps into a round of quickfire questions, sharing her dream with a deadline, and offering actionable advice to keep your OKR program on track. Let's jump in. I am so excited to have Natalie Webb join me today. An executive with over five years of OKR expert experience, over 15 years of experience in consulting engagements and technical leadership, she is currently an independent business owner, CEO, and OKR expert at Cloud Peak Enterprise Group, LLC. Thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Oh, you're so great, Jenny. Thanks for having me. So excited to be part of Dreams with Deadlines podcast with you. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. Let's launch into this. So one of the big concerns and i'm in germany so i think it's even more important here is this fear of being transparent when you embark on an okr journey it's like wait people can see my stuff this is not okay like there's a big like a big brother concern are you seeing that when you're consulting and coaching these executive clients of yours and these organizations, some of them big names? I mean, you're talking healthcare, aviation, fintech, manufacturing. You've seen the gambit. What are you seeing with them? And then how do you help them alleviate some of that concern?
0: Yeah, it's very real. Honestly, I think when companies embark on the O-Care journey, There can be lines of business that are at different points in their journey where some are further along with OKRs and some are just coming to the party, regardless of where they are in their OKR journey, I find that some clients have some fear associated with being really transparent, right? There's this notion that you mentioned of big brother, and I don't want to really open my kimono and show my appendectomy scar and my <laughs> stretch marks to these strangers who are coming to the company telling us how to set strategy. Nonetheless, like I I need to work with them. I need to build rapport. I need to, first and foremost, build trust. There's this sort of guarding of the cereal bowl right? that I'm not going to share with you what's happening here. And, you know, one of the main tenets of OKRs is really being transparent and collaborating and then having that accountability. So this old notion of I may have security through obscurity Mm. uh, goes out the window when they start seeing the benefits. And honestly, the proof is in the pudding. When they see that OKRs are delivering really tangible results, they start leaning in and some of that fear goes away. But it's very real.
1: Do you see that also with the not just the leadership team, but actual teams themselves? Because I feel like this is emblematic of maybe the culture. It's interesting when you listen to people's concerns and you start to realize, oh, this is actually indicative not of the process or necessarily the governance that is involved or even the benefits that we're talking about. This is a culture question. Thoughts there about like where culture fits in the conversation of. Feeling more at ease to be transparent about what goals you want to achieve and why you want to achieve them.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. So culture for sure, I think fostered at the most senior levels is tested as I go through the organization and meet one-on-one with leaders and their teams and help them define OKRs. I see culture challenges where there's been a lot of change and some sort of distrust right? And we're in that time right now where there is some upheaval and folks are a little bit nervous. And, and so I see that, that culture is critically important, but it really is fostered top down, bottom up. And it has to be across the leadership team. I feel my most authentic and fruitful meetings come from those one-on-one coaching conversations where I get the real detail of what that leader is experiencing. And I really listen and lean in. And that's how I build credibility, because I hear what their pain points are, and I can make sure that I'm highlighting the critical bodies of work that their team are delivering. And just that relationship, I think, goes a really long way to help foster the culture that I've heard about from their leaders.
1: All right. There's an old narrative, I think, that many of us hold, especially in organizations that tend to be more project-oriented, maybe very hierarchical A-frame types. And that conversation is around my stuff is too complex for you to possibly define. How can I take all of this body of work and narrow that down to one OKR, for example, which is what a lot of people would suggest you start. Don't overwhelm, really focus Tell us the story of a senior VP that you've worked with where that was the case, a naysayer, and you turned them around. Because I think that's interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is really interesting. And I think when I think about this gentleman, and I'm still very close friends with him today, but I had to earn it, right? I had to make sure he knew that I was not just digging into his business to highlight perhaps what was going on or maybe not going on but that I really was there to help them. And so he started the conversation with, my VP told me I had to do this. I have so much going on. I feel like this is a waste of an hour doing this coaching with you where I could be working on things that I need to get delivered. And and then his whole team was present, right? So I think it was really incumbent upon me to explain, hey, there will be a benefit at the end of this hour. There will be an outcome here just in meeting with me. We will draft some OKRs together. And he said, well, you know, I've got this, 100 milestone project plan that has to be completed in the quarter. Do you want me to list all 100 milestones out? And I said, no, I don't. But perhaps one of your KRs is to deliver all 100 milestones in that project plan by the end of the quarter, not listing every milestone. And so we started talking about the big bodies of work that he had. And he started leaning in a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more And by the time we got done, I mean, the rule of thumb is three to five objectives, three to five KRs each. We had a wonderful set of OKRs. He felt all of his teams were represented. He felt the big bodies of work that really moved the needle for the business were there, that I heard him explain the importance of the lights on, doors open daily work that his team was doing, but didn't really make a good defined key results. And so After I listened to him, I think that's where I really built the credibility with him to say, you can trust me to define what your great team is going to be delivering. And honestly, he found it so beneficial and I hoped that I could turn him around and I was able to show that his team could be showcased really in the work that they were doing and that some of that information could even be used to further demonstrate he needed additional staff. So. Yeah, it worked out well. Not all of them go that way, but I do love those naysayers because they make me work harder (laughs) to to show the benefit of OKRs. And yeah, I'm still close friends with him to this day and great feedback about our partnership.
1: So let's discuss a bit about the people aspect of this because we are in a period where there's a lot of pessimism because the market seems to be really unpredictable. And so several senior leaders are thinking about retrenchment strategies where previously they were thinking about investment strategies. And we're seeing that even in terms of especially tech, the amount of people that have been laid off, unfortunately, in the past few months post COVID. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Where in your experience with working with several senior leaders across various industries, where is their headspace at right now in terms of what is top of mind from a strategic pillars perspective that we can potentially discuss and then how we can then transform these big picture ideas into OKRs that you're seeing really become beneficial in codifying the direction of several of these businesses.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting shift you call out. I think just even two quarters ago, the common conversation I was having around the people pillar, if you will, which is attracting and retaining top talent, changed from we can't find people, we can't hire them quick enough. We're changing our KRs to hire and onboard because in some cases, our people are not showing up for the jobs that we've hired them for. They've accepted wow. something else and are turning down our offer, but without even letting us know. So I've seen this very radical shift in a short amount of time just in the last two quarters where hiring was still very much a challenge especially for the technology folks and now i'm seeing that there's sort of this availability now of very talented folks because of these mass layoffs happening and the okrs are reflecting that as well they're shifting so it is very much an, an interesting journey to look back at your OKRs over the last year and see how even just the people pillar, one of the main tenants, honestly, of OKRs has shifted with the industries. And I mean, across all industries. You know, we used to say in healthcare that unless you're selling furniture, there's an IT thread to it. But even furniture now, right? The on beds mm-hmm. at the hospital measure weight and other things. So they're all connected as well. So there's always a technology component. So that it's a really sort of shocking shift that has occurred in just a matter of two quarters where it was very difficult to find and hire technical folks. And now we have one of the largest, I think, pools of talent available now. And how do we do with sorting out our OKRs and figuring it out? And honestly, this week I had a conversation about we need to hire, but we're going to be very selective about our hiring And we're gonna really call out the diversity and inclusion aspects of our hiring to be very deliberate about our choices of hiring. So that's what I'm seeing now is the shift is not, I can't find people. It's now I find people, but I'm gonna be very selective about the ones I hire to your point about sort of entrenchment, right? Like I wanna make sure that the ones I'm offering are the ones that meet the criteria that I'm being asked to meet as a leader regarding diversity and inclusion.
1: It sounds like too, an interesting part of the OKR story is the ability to showcase, as you put it, like the strategic value of a particular team, a department. How important is the ability to showcase that today, given that budgets need to be defended. How does that kind of fit together?
0: Yeah, great question. So there's the typical conversation around managing to budget around CapEx and OpEx, right, the daily. Then there's also the conversation around revenue and growth, critically important, always one of the top five pillars that gets discussed. How do we have a new product offering that brings in the revenue that we're expected? And also, how do we not lose customers? So how are we making sure that the customer experience is there so we don't lose the installed base that we already have? And so always talk about revenue no matter what. Always talk about sales targets and the need to hit those sales targets. I think what's changed is folks are being asked to run on a leaner budget, yeah, and deliver the same. Yeah. And so that's the shift I'm seeing right now, which is we need to do some process reengineering and internal process efficiencies to keep our revenue at the same point with less people and perhaps less tools. And so radical shift in Q1 compared to even Q4 of last year. So
1: for those who might be new to this idea of incorporating OKRs to enable this, mm-hmm. how is that different from the KPIs and the targets therein that support these are our revenue targets, these are our growth targets, these are our hiring targets? Like, folks are already accustomed to KPIs. Why then would we want to see a combination of
0: KPIs and OKRs work together? Yeah, great question, Jenny. So, what I like to say about KPIs is Nothing has to change. That data that you have, especially trending data in KPIs, is critical for us to apply or put the umbrella of OKRs on top of it. So everything that folks already have in place around critical measures, any type of baseliner indexes that they already have in place, we can use in OKRs. I think uh, some folks may be led to believe they have to redefine everything, and they don't. So OKRs, if you can imagine, are over the top, and there are several inputs that go into a key result that will drive the outcome that you want. An example, working with teams around their marketing objectives, their net promoter score. They say, we want to increase our net promoter score. And I say, great, what is it now? And they say, I have no idea. And so that's where they start, right? Defining that baseline is great. So in the next quarter, we can decide to try and go from X to Y, which is a great measure to continue growing that net promoter score. Another way of thinking of inputs to get to the outcome, I'll have great technology teams who say, we wanna define and publish a white paper this quarter. And I said, great. And then, so what happens? And they say, well, And then we want to set up a webinar every month in the quarter to talk to the technology base that this white paper is really targeting. Awesome. And then what happens? Oh, well, I mean, we hope then that we drive some sales. We hope to get at least 50 clients from each webinar. And I say, awesome. So that's the result, right? The input is really doing the white paper and the webinar. And the real outcome, the tangible outcome that I help tease out is 150 new clients in the quarter. Yeah, and so it's less of a task or a milestone that is very binary and checked off. It's more about that outcome that moves the needle for the business.
1: Okay, so for the folks that are using OKRs, right, we see some behavior out there that isn't so great. Let's talk about the serial cloners out (laughs) there because you have done this before. You know who you are. Natalie, if you can share with us what that is, why that's not great,
0: (laughs) and how do we stop
1: doing this behavior?
0: Right. I don't know if I coined that phrase. I haven't heard anybody else use it, but everybody who hears it now is welcome to use it. Many of the top OKR tools have this ability to clone a set of OKRs from one quarter to the next where that's really valuable is objectives can be shorter long-term. And when you're talking about one like growth, you're always going to have a growth objective, but the key result should change every quarter. So when I do sort of an audit with an executive and I look at their OKRs from one quarter to the next to do a comparison and really sort of a juxtaposition about their progress, I see You know, in Q3, that some of their deadlines are by the end of Q1. And then Q2 has some of their deadlines also by the end of Q1. And so they have cloned Q1 and Q2 into Q3. And it's like, what is it you say you're doing here? (laughs) Because I'm not really sure what results you're driving when you're just cloning the information, you know, and it doesn't change. And it really does a disservice, I think, to his team, because I'm sure his team is working really, really hard. And we want to showcase the results of that work. And so being able to have that candid conversation and say, let's just make sure that we're really capturing the results that your team is driving. And and if there are collaborations or interdependencies and alignment across your organization, that we can highlight that. So yeah, I, I like having that one-on-one conversation with serial cloners.
1: <laughs> and similarly, there's like We're accustomed several of us to defining milestones because for some of the clients that you work with, like they're going to be working on this project for a while, right? Especially when we're talking about big transformation initiatives, that's not something that you're going to capture in a quarter. That could be at minimum a year. You can t-shirt size this. Maybe it'll last two, three, five years. Talk to us about pork barreling, because I think this concept for folks out there are probably familiar with the appropriation of government spending for localized projects. Like that's a metaphor you've heard. Let's talk about that in its application to OKRs.
0: Yeah, it's a great one. So often I will see teams who feel, especially when it's sort of their first foray into OKRs, they feel we are doing so many things, I can't possibly put it in three to five objectives and three to five KRs per. And so they want to list out literally every critical milestone they have in that quarter with a paragraph of supporting, you know, tasks and actions that need to take place. And it's really not the place to do that. While I think project plans, whatever tool they want to use are really, really important, what we want to capture is the result of that body of work getting done and what it needs, right? And when. And I think having those leading indicators to, for instance, if your bogey is you know, a sales team has to bring in sales, one sales VP needs to bring in a million dollars. So they'll have a KR each quarter for 250K. Bad news only gets worse with time. So being able to trend that in the quarter and seeing how well they are on target to get that 250 each quarter. And and if all assumptions hold true, they're gonna get to their target. That's what we wanna do. We wanna have visibility to what's happening so that we can have a timely response to a course correction if necessary, or mitigation, or um, maybe a pause and a reassess. Do we need more talent? Do we need a vendor? What do we need? But at least getting the attention on that challenge. Where it gets messy is where folks feel like they need to list literally 100 things out. And how you try to tell them, we need to make sure that we can condense this so it's it's in line with sort of the methodology. And they say, well, then how will anybody know what we're working on? Well, I mean, there's a way to do it, right? And I think talking about the nuances of capturing the body of work in an entire project plan and making sure that those milestones are delivered, we can certainly do that. And in many of the tools, you can link to the project plan. So you don't have to list it out, right? You can actually have a link right in the OKR tool to the detail if people want to view that. So I think that brings some comfort to them. But I it's a real challenge and 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 often when I have someone in a team saying, It's so hard to get this data and then I have to synthesize it and then I have to true it up and then right and I say, Well, how do you measure success now? And usually there's crickets, Jenny. And so it's a great opportunity to dig in and really say, Let's figure out how we can really measure this and have this be something that's got visibility. We're gonna take a short
1: break. You are listening to Dreams with Deadlines, the podcast that brings you real stories of trials and victories in business, brought to you by Quantive. Quantive is a strategy execution platform that helps organizations create greater strategic agility and excel at execution. With more than 2,000 customers, Quantive helps companies close the gap between strategy and execution to achieve their best possible. And now, back to the show. This is awesome, right? Because what we're talking about here is being able to honestly be humble about our planning in a way, right? Because we don't know what's going to happen. Clearly, that's what we've experienced in the last two years. And so the rhythm of the business being tied to some cadence for checking in on some frequency is beneficial, The challenge seems to be, and I've encountered this, I don't know if you have, and I'm curious to hear, is about OKR alignment, that being something that I think we can touch on, and then OKR habituation, that this becomes something that is the fabric of the way a business operates. Let's start with the first one, because we've talked about OKR setting, being able to distill the body of work into these are the tangible outcomes that we hope to achieve by doing this stuff. How do you typically go about helping an organization align across a leadership team? Because that's, it seems impossible sometimes. And then even further, what that looks like for an organization.
0: That's a great scenario. So I was working with a healthcare company, and I think this is a relevant example. The CFO had been telling the board, that this healthcare SaaS tool that they had on the market was going to be capable of doing a certain feature function. She had been telling the board that for four years. When I led an OKR facilitated session with her and the engineering leadership, all the leadership, she mentioned, you know, when is this feature going to become available? And the senior VP of engineering said, our tool will never be capable of doing that. <laughs> and she said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry? Uh, yeah. This was something I told the board. This was coming. And he said, I'm not sure why, because something about 64 bit, like it just didn't jive from a technology perspective. And it would never be capable of doing that. We can talk about options for it doing something like that, but even more robust along the lines of machine learning. And so it turned into this amazing conversation, but it was shocking that four years had gone by and this sort of collaborative, facilitated session of the most strategic work that needed to be focused on had not taken place until they took the journey on OKRs. So it was sort of shocking, right, that that hadn't happened and yet also wonderful that it then turned into this amazing conversation about even a better feature that could come as a result of that finding. So I think getting the people together hearing them all, understanding where there are interdependencies and dependencies and where true collaboration has to happen and calling that out. Where that's great in a tool, it eliminates a need for a racy, right? When people's names Mm -hmm. are the same, KR, everybody knows who's responsible and accountable, right? And that's a beautiful thing. So I think there's efficiencies that come from that. I think there are efficiencies that come from just the conversation in the room about collaborating and true alignment and what that looks like. And I just I haven't seen that before using other methodologies, whether that's Six Sigma, Old Scrum, New Scrum, Agile, Old Waterfall, you name it, I've seen the most tangible results and true collaboration and alignment with OKRs versus any other methodology I've used.
1: I came across a CEO once that asked the question, this sounds amazing. What you're describing, Natalie, sounds amazing. And then he followed that with, where are we going to find time for this? What is your response to that? Because you've worked with a lot of these senior executives, these teams that have a large body of work that they need to deliver. And then we add on top of that, the narrative today, which is, guess what? You're going to have to do the same or more with less, so where are they going to find the time to set, to report, to discuss, mm-hmm. to confer about OKRs and OKR progress? What are your best practices on how executives specifically and senior leaders can get involved with this? Because if they don't, it will be a set it and forget it kind of exercise. Like we did it, and we're going to continue to do operations like we've always done. So. Any recommendations there?
0: Yeah, I think there is a tremendous amount of time savings when you have a one-stop shop environment for all your OKRs. And when I say that, when you eliminate the need for somebody to cut and paste screenshots out of a project planning tool for status and PowerPoint slides 85 pages long, and you can actually open a tool and say, this is exactly where we are on this, This is who owns it. This is what's happening. Here's a mitigation. It's a beautiful thing. So there's a lot of time savings, I think, in reporting status and reporting where exactly we are on a project when you're using OKRs. I think the other thing I hear from leaders, even after the first quarter, is when we do the retrospective at the end of the quarter, they are always amazed and delighted at the amount of work that was accomplished in the quarter. They're shocked that they were able to achieve so much. And so the pomp and circumstance and and ceremony of celebrating what they were able to achieve is in 90 days, right, is something that they're not familiar with doing. So I think they see the benefits even in the first quarter of the results. And then I think they also feel that the time savings of not having to try and get emails and phone calls and meetings and status reports and PowerPoints created and so on, Because they have this one-stop shop with everything that they need at their fingertips. So while it's difficult to quantify that, the time savings, I think, is huge. And I hear that from a lot of folks, too. Saving time is a huge benefit. And then seeing the results.
1: So alignment totally makes sense. This idea of doing retrospectives and bringing agile practices to strategy. Effectively, that's what we're discussing here. Mm -hmm. Any further thoughts on OKR habituation? Because this often seems to be a challenge for a lot of organizations that were accustomed to doing something one way, and now they're transforming the organization using OKRs as a methodology to help bring about change. Making that a habit and making it stick seems to be really hard. What are you seeing that isn't working? And conversely, what is working? Because I think there's a lot we can learn from each other on how it is that we can actually glean the benefits that we believe this methodology should provide an organization, truly transformational, like transformational kind of change. So thoughts on how to make OKRs a habit?
0: Yeah, I have two examples I'd like to share. Honestly, I, when I see leaders really leaning in, and really using OKRs, it's because they've realized the benefits are substantial and they want to use them. I've seen this in healthcare where, you know, I'd have a leadership team of 20 people come to a session that I'm facilitating to carve out their OKRs. And starting with them in one quarter, it took me a couple hours and we were only able to get a couple objectives and key results for each leader. After the second quarter, they came prepared. They came with drafts of their OKRs. They'd already had pre-conversations of collaboration. And we were able to get through all those leaders in less than an hour because they were just firing, right? And so it's less about, hey, this needs to be a habit. Make your updates, use the system, use the tool, whatever it is. It's more about them saying, this is working and I want this, and I'm going to use this, and I'm going to keep using this. And that's where you get away from the push-pull is they see the proof, and they want on board. And so seeing that shift and being part of that shift is awesome, right? Because you're there to help. And I've seen it happen in healthcare. I've seen it happen in high-tech, fintech. I've seen it happen in manufacturing. So I think it's more of a, a need and a want when they see the direct benefit that it helps their business.
1: You said you had two stories. The first yeah, was healthcare. The second.
0: This is a little long, but I'll try and turn it up. So lithium ion manufacturing battery making company. The CEO had a dashboard of all the critical OKRs that he wanted to keep an eye on. They had a manufacturing plant in Hangzhou, China, and one of his KRs was actually six levels down, and it was around the raw lithium cobalt that was coming into the manufacturing plant and its quality index, right? They had all these quality measures. The KR was that they needed to maintain a 75% or greater quality metric on the raw lithium cobalt coming into the manufacturing plant. If that ever went red, The two weeks in a row, production stopped. So the CEO who was out of the Baltimore Boston office had this KR six levels down from him on customer experience pillar, which was about this raw lithium cobalt quality. It went red. It was an Easter Sunday. He got an alert from his dashboard that this critical KR went red. He was able to get on the phone and negotiate new raw cobalt to be delivered to the manufacturing plant on the same day to make sure that he would yeah he would not miss the deliverables to major clients that he had expecting these batteries in europe where we both happened to oddly be this week clients like bugatti ferrari lamborghini formula one this was these were not small clients and so The fact that he had this transparency and visibility and he was able to do a course correction from another continent in a matter of hours was just like mind-blowing, right? No emails needed, no phone calls needed. He knew exactly what was going on. The notes were in the system as to what was happening. The escalation for success hit his dashboard and he was in action and redirecting the raw material within hours.
1: If there is any question (laughs) about a meta success measure (laughs) around using OKRs, I think that kind of covered it. I hope it did anyway for the folks that are listening. Oh, my goodness. Wow.
0: Yeah, but I think also it really, like that team in Hojo, and I worked with them, the fact that that KR was on the CEO's dashboard How awesome was it that it spanned six levels and a continent, and that team realized how critical they were to revenue, to production, to customer success, and to meeting commitments. It was amazing to see that kind of uh, alignment and importance. And then also the result was the timeliness of of fixing or mitigating a major issue. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I mean, that's really the dream, right? Is at least for me, is this idea that we would all understand the value and the purpose of our work, which is exactly what that exemplifies. Well, thank you for that story. I think we're going to roll into quick fire questions if you're ready. Awesome. Yes, I'm ready. First, what's your dream with the deadline? Because that's the name of the show.
0: Dream with a deadline, oh gosh. I think my dream is really being able to help clients who are making a difference, touching people, because I just think we're all connected, right? And we need to help each other as much as we can. Helping them really carve out important work that that makes a difference. I say that and I think of one team in particular that I worked with in out of New York and it was a hospice organization, right? Being able to help them be more effective just made me feel like a better person. Being able to help the folks in hospice who are helping our loved ones leave this place in the best way possible. I like the manufacturing and I like the high tech, but being able to work with people who are helping people is pretty awesome. So that's one of my dreams of the deadline is being able to learn all these different industries, but also really leave a legacy in helping people who are helping people.
1: So we discussed over the course of this conversation, various ways that OKRs can go wrong. Yes. What are the, let's say, handful of things that you have seen with the organizations that you've worked with make OKR successful?
0: make okay successful? I think being very truthful is critical. When someone is inflating an objective or a key result, it's going to be revealed. And so I think that's one of those things that it's like, are we really sure this is the right number or the right metric we should be measuring? Because if they don't have the capacity or the resources to deliver on what they define, it's going to show in less than 90 days, right? And so I think really getting to the truth and building that rapport to have that authentic relationship so that we get really specific KRs that are achievable and they're not so stretched that they don't have the capacity to reach them. Yeah. You
1: have worked with quite your fair share of naysayers out there. For the folks that are also championing their programs and they are encountering naysayers, What advice would you give them on turning that naysayer into an advocate?
0: Ooh, well, I mean, first I'd say, can I have an hour with them? (laughs) 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 Let me have them. I think their concerns are often very valid. And I think just being heard goes a long way. And having the one-on-one time with those folks, I think, has always been where I've seen magic happen. And they truly believe that I'm there to help them. And I try to authentically say, I'm not this magic maker. This is really me showcasing your work and your team's work and putting it into a methodology that everyone can see what you're delivering. It's interesting because those folks, I do think, operate from a place of fear as well. And that's very real. And I may not understand, and I likely will not ask either, why they are holding so tight or why they are so fearful. I'll work hard to try and get to a point where we carve out some big bodies of work for them that feel comfortable for them to share and go from there. And then typically meet with them several times throughout the quarter to just do a check base, you know, and let them know that what they've done is not carving stone. It is agile enough to add to or true up if necessary so we have that trending information. But you're always going to have naysayers. You know, I had one executive who said all of our key results will be measured based on our revenue number. And if the revenue is good, we're doing good. And I was like, mm, "Not so much because I mean, really, right? Because your revenue could be really high, but you could be losing customers because mm-hmm. you know, your set scores and surveys are in the tank, right? And so there's lots of indicators, I think, that define success and figuring out what those are for each client, I think is key.
1: Well, Natalie, this has been a very enlightening conversation and thank you for sharing all the stories and the lessons learned. I appreciate you.
0: Ah, Jenny, I wish I could have come from Budapest to Berlin to be with you in studio this week, but at least we're in the same time zone.
1: Right on. Thanks again.
0: Thank you. Talk soon.
1: That's it for this episode. Dreams with Deadlines is produced by Quantive. You can find show notes and transcripts on our website, quantum.com slash resources slash podcasts. If you have a specific question, email us at quantum.com and your question might be answered on the show. Thanks for listening and see you next time.